Welcome to the Conquer Risk Podcast, the podcast that discusses all things around investment management and the business of running an RIA firm. All opinions expressed by podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Potomac Fund Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Potomac Fund Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Manish. It's good to, to see you again. Um, you know, today we're gonna we're gonna talk about something that I think is prevalent uh, because uh, I've seen recently. Right, we, we've been in this long bull run, and, and recently there's been a number of articles come across my desk that that are in reference to how do you manage in a bear market, how do you invest in a bear market, and of course most of those are written to the end client perspective. Right, they're you know, a market watch, if you will, is, is writing to what a client should do. Well, the reality is a lot of advisors and, and managers use things like bear market funds. And so in, you and I were having some discussions and thought this would be a good topic to, uh, to, to discuss. I know you just recently wrote a blog. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about what, what are bear market funds? Let's make sure we're all on the same page. Yeah. And before I jump in to sort of talk about the whole concept of how to invest in a bear market. We, we sort of touched on this the other day. I, I, I don't really think you can. Like, there is no right way, right? You, you sort of have to duck and hide and, and hope the things don't hit you. Um, but for whatever reason, you know, publications want to come out with, you know, articles on how to do it. Um, and it's usually written by, you know, some kid that's never actually probably seen one before. But I digress. So uh, go ahead. What? Uh, or ever managed money. Right. That's that's the thing. That's what always kills me. Right. I mean, I I applaud the folks that write on 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 these topics. But but let's face it, uh, you don't have to be licensed or manage money in order to write a blog or a news article for a major publication. You can just write because you're a writer. Yeah. And I will. You can outsource that. Anyway, we're not going to get into that. So, all right, a bear market fund, essentially, uh, the way we define it is um, there's variations. We define it as uh, uh, an inverse relationship to a benchmark. So, for example, if you want to have a fund that correlates inversely to the S&P 500. So if the S&P 500 goes up 10%, you want this fund to go down 10%. So these things are you know, prevalent in mutual fund and ETF form. Um, there's leverage and, and unlevered funds, but the, the bottom line is uh, bear market funds are, are in place to profit from um, in an inverse relationship to a benchmark of some sort. Actually, these sound a little complicated. So who all makes these things? I mean, what are the primary names? Yeah, and a funny story about Potomac, we you know were, were founded in um, Montgomery Village, Maryland, and three of the main companies were all sort of founded within five miles of us. It's not like we do anything similar to them, but it's just sort of a location-based thing, oddly enough. Uh, Rydex Investments, uh, which is in Rockville, Maryland, that was uh, then purchased by Guggenheim, was one of the pioneers. Uh, followed by Pro Funds and Direction Funds. Those are the three main companies that that make these. I, I do want to, you know, for for full disclosure, there there are other inverse funds that are not passive. Um, Pimco, there's a Grizzly short where where there's active management picking the the short um, stocks or there's short selection. Uh, for for arguments for this purpose, we're we're not we're only going to focus on the passive ones, and we only think that those are the valid ones anyway. Gotcha. But so yes, those three companies are the ones that focus on on the the passive benchmarking in terms of levered and unlevered inverse. 
Okay. Well, something that, uh, that, that you caught me in a mistake uh, recently in, in one of our discussions, and I thought, you know what, if it's a mistake for me and I've been in the business 25 years, it's probably good to address uh, in a format like this. In, in referring to inverse funds and the process, uh, can you explain tracking error is something that most advisors have heard the phrase, but can you can you touch on what a tracking error really is or, or how that how that works? Well, so let's say you have an S&P 500 index fund, right? The, the goal of that index fund is to match the S&P 500 one to one. And it's not very hard if you're just a long only stock fund, because essentially you're just buying the stocks and the percentages they own in the S&P 500. But in an inverse relationship, it's a little bit more difficult because you can't go out and necessarily just short every stock in the S&P 500. You, from a liquidity point of view, you'd never be able to, to, to cover anything in case you need to sell that position. So what they do is it's a combination of cash and swap agreements and shorting futures contracts. So not to dive into it too deeply, one of the biggest things that you want to watch out for is tracking error because if you are shorting the S&P 500, you obviously want to get as close to a one-to-one relationship as possible, right? You don't, you don't want the S&P to be down 1% and you're also down 1% because that defeats the purpose, right? So when we're looking at these funds, we want to make sure that the tracking error uh, is, is low. It's as close to a one-to-one correlation as possible. And most of the Rydex funds are 0999 which is pretty close, right? But, but over three, four, or five years, that, that can be a, a, a difference. Uh, so tracking error really comes down to how closely it's correlating to that benchmark. Okay. And would you consider the phrase slippage the same as tracking error? Yeah. I, I mean, in this case, it's essentially the same thing. Like how, I mean, slippage is probably more towards yeah. if you're a large cap fund and really you have 30% mid cap. But, but the thesis is the same, right? You're essentially trying to make sure that you follow what you say you're following as closely as possible. It's all, yeah, it's, it, I, it, as I taught advisory for years, it's all about what I call expectational investing, right? You, in, you use this particular bear market fund with the expectation if the S&P, uh, as our example, does something that you want this to do, if you're non-levered, do exactly the opposite in a similar fashion. Um, so the mistake that I had made was actually in reference to calling tracking error, uh, using the phrase tracking error in refer- reference to compounding. So I think it'd probably be good to reference the compounding separation or difference in looking at, uh, at these funds as well. Yeah, so the goal of these funds is to track, let's, let's take an inverse, right? You're tracking uh, the inverse to a benchmark on a daily basis. Right? And that's really where the tracking error comes in, on a one-to-one on a daily basis. But over time, because of compounding, that, that's never true. Right? And, and compounding is, is, is compounding. There's no way around it. If the S&P is up 2% one day and this fund is down 2% one day, the next day you have a different starting value. And 2% is going to change uh, the outcome on day two, right? It's just the basics of compounding. So over time, you'll see, especially with a bear market fund, if you look at the last bear market, uh, the S&P was down uh, roughly, right? Approximately 55-ish percent on the price return. But some of these inverse S&P funds were up, you know, 95%. Uh, and that's just basically compounding. So the, the, the thing to walk away with is, you know, on a day-to-day basis, yes, the goal is to track it. But if you hold this fund over a long period of time, you know, you're not going to necessarily track 
the benchmark on a one-to-one -one basis. And it gets even worse when you start lo using leverage and ETFs because of the bid-ask right. and NAV. I mean, it can get really crazy, um, and and which is why these things are are, are, are dangerous uh, for for the average investor. Right. Yeah, I think that's so. There's a couple of things we should probably. I I, I should have probably said this near the beginning, but. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, it's, uh, as you have mentioned, tracking error and compounding, right? It's it's not something that you want to implore and then forget about. And that's that's really the big differentiation from an SEC standpoint, as I've done audits before uh, on the broker-dealer corporate RIA side. You know, it, it's about whether or not there are tools in place to watch and monitor and make sure that there are processes. So, but, but again, I mean, that's, it, it is what it is, but what I, what I really want to, uh, to say is that I do think it's important that advisors understand the tool, which is why you have a blog. And therefore some of these things we've given an example, tracking error or compounding are in the blog. So if you want a real, you want to see the physical example rather than us talking about it, you can go to our, visit our blog blog post. Uh, but yeah, it is important to, to use these tools and understand them. Uh, and the reality is if you're using third-party managers, third-party managers can certainly use these tools. So I'm not just talking about Potomac, but but when if you're using a manager, I do think it's critical that you understand or ask the question, do they use bear market funds? Do they use inverse, leveraged, etc.? And, and make sure that you understand those, which is why we're doing the podcast today. So as we move forward, um, why would a manager use these tools and, and how do you choose which one? Yeah, those are definitely two separate questions. In terms of the why, I think it's important to understand, you know, when, when volatility strikes and, and markets start taking a turn for the worse, there's, there's three main ways to reduce sort of your exposure. The first two are, are quite simple in the sense where you, number one, will rotate your sector weightings or your asset class weightings. For example, if you want to increase more um, utilities or REITs or traditionally, you know, um, bear market sensitive asset classes. Uh, the second part is just selling things to cash. Uh, and that's another easy way to sort of um, take the stink off the portfolios, I'd like to call it. Um, <laughs> but it, lastly, the third way is the use of bear market funds. And a lot of times it comes in, the main purpose from a portfolio management point of view is speed. Uh, it takes a lot of time to figure out what investments you want to buy and what the allocation of your portfolio is going to be, especially from a tactical unconstrained side. You know, we are momentum. We want to be in the right asset class at the right time. That takes time. Volatility doesn't care about your calendar. So when that strikes, it takes just as much time to figure out how you want to de-risk your portfolio, what you want to sell, uh, other capital gains implications. And so what a bear market fund really helps doing is it gives you within one day, you know, if you let's say you, you sell something and you have 20% cash, you know, volatility is increasing, we're active, tactical, unconstrained, you can easily stick a 20% short fund in there just to temporarily take some beta down while you reassess the situation. So the speed of being able to quickly add that position gotcha. is, is one of the, the, the biggest uh, benefits and, and, and also quickly reduce your beta. You know, you have an, an 80 beta or a 90 beta, you can quickly reduce that and hedge your long positions. Number two is sometimes there's certain positions you don't want to sell, whether there's embedded capital gains or you actually like that position. There's been periods of times where maybe you hold a international fund that has some gold exposure, that has some built-in protection mechanisms. 
then you may not want to sell that, but you may want to hedge another part of your portfolio. Uh, and you can start playing that hedging game where let's say you're, you're, you're negative on the S&P 500, right. but you're positive international gold. You can sort of play that, that game in terms of, you know, shorting one asset class and, and benefit from the other. But once again, the, 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 it's, this can bite you in the ass. It's, it's, it's a very dangerous uh, situation, and it's, it's really just for short-term market inefficiencies. That's it. If you buy and hold an inverse fund, the, the scientific uh, word for you is moron. <laughs> That's the honest to God uh, truth. Tell us, tell us how you really I feel. I mean, it's just true. I mean, you can't. <laughs> and, and back to your point about the broker-dealers, I mean, listen, yeah. It's true. I mean, you can't have an advisor out there, you know, a gunslinger trading these two, three beta long short funds. Yeah. I mean, it, it, the NAV, the the whipsaws. I mean, you have to have a process in place, and they have to be used for a specific reason, which is right. in this case what, what I'm trying to explain: short term, taking the stink off the portfolio until you can regroup and figure out your path forward. Right. So it sounds like really speed is probably the primary reason that you would use one of these tools instead of cash. Uh, speed. Uh, there's a couple other ones, right? The the embedded capital gains, if you don't want to sell something, right. um, if you want to yeah. play the hedging game and, and on asset classes. Th- th- those are the, the, the three main reasons. Um, you know, if you have a stock portfolio and you want to keep the dividends flowing, but, you know, and maybe short the overall market, I mean, there, there are a lot of them are, are, are stretch, right? But I think the main reason, right. to your point, is, is, is obviously the speed on reducing your beta. Right. Well, and one of the things that, you know, it's interesting, right? We, 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 try and, we always try and offer opportunities to help advisors grow uh, through our podcast and other social media. And, and ultimately, this is, this is part of the deal. Sometimes growing your business really involves protecting your business, right? I mean, client accounts go down, uh, AUM goes down, and therefore revenue goes down. So it's one of those things that, uh, you know, understanding the use of appropriate use of inverse funds or bear market funds, I think, is a good uh, good topic. Do you have any final thoughts around this subject? No, I think it could, a lot of times the questions pop up, at least in our use of these funds in the past, where, you know, the initial sort of take on the client's end is I see that I'm 100% invested, right? Um, right? That's one of the roadblocks is where the advisor and or Potomac can come in and explain, hey, you know, you're really not because this one position is sort of right. hedging against the other one. So, um, gotcha. and, and, and it's, 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 you know, we've, it's really for, for a short term. And, and, and part of the blog that I wrote is, you know, I really don't think there's any bad investments out there. I think they're just bad investors. And what I mean by that is, of course, there's there's fraud. Of course, there's schemes. But all in all, all the investments, for the most part, play a, play a part in a portfolio. Um, and, and this does, too, on a short-term uh, basis to, to really go after market inefficiencies. Um, and you have to have a manager process in place. That's really the, 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 the number one thing cool. to, to think about. All right. Well, I think we've nailed the bear market funds uh, topic. Again, we've got a blog, so some of the links, things that we talked about, well, they're obviously going to be in the blog post, and we'll put that in the show notes. From a recommendation standpoint this week, I've got something totally different. We're not looking at movies. We're cooking food. My wife decided to uh, to to push, and, uh, and we now have a Blackstone flat griddle, um, which is this little 17-inch. Again, we're in an RV, so we can't get the great big behemoth and put it on the patio. But uh, if you haven't seen or used a Blackstone, 
pretty cool. I mean, I, I wasn't a big, uh, you know, I was like, okay, whatever. We're going to get rid of one grill and get another. But uh, now that we've used it a few times, it's it's pretty wicked cool. And again, we'll put a link in the show notes so you can see what that is. Uh, but whether it be pancakes, steaks, asparagus, whatever, man, just uh, sort of knock it all out at the same time. Yeah, it's good, especially for condo living as well, for folks that just don't have access to that. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I don't, I don't know if it's a recommendation. I will say this. I started, <laughs> you know, I, I took the kids to Disney on ice and my initial recommendation was going to be, don't ever take your kids to Disney on ice. I mean, <laughs> because listen, wait, let me back up. I loved it. The show so, was awesome. On, you got three. It's the, different. The show was awesome. I loved it. Disney is, I mean, Jesus. I mean, you walk in popcorn's $18 the you know they strategically place the toys and the t-shirts and I didn't even get to my seat before I spent $100 on on crap and but I mean the look on these kids faces during and then we haven't stopped talking about it they still talking about that show yeah and you know if you can afford it you know at least as a parent that's that's pretty priceless and um and so it was, I mean, the show itself was good. Anything Disney touches when it comes to this kind of stuff, you know, is going to be top notch and it did not disappoint, but geez, I mean, the way they get you and they, and they, but they do it with a smile too, you know, like $18 popcorn, you know, <laughs> but anyway, I don't, I don't know if that was a recommendation or not, uh, but uh, there you go. It's a recommendation to save your pennies and then take them there. Hey, just wait, man. You're going to get them all to Disney world before long. Yeah, that's, uh, a, that's you, a whole you, 100, new bu- 100 bucks is light, bro. Yeah. 100 bucks is nothing. And snacks. They're going to get that before you get to the door. Yeah. <laughs> so Cool. All right. On that note, I think we've knocked it out. Uh, like, subscribe. You can comment on our Connect page on our www.potomacfund.com website. We certainly appreciate it and look forward to our next podcast. Thanks. Thanks. Bye.